Well, I am so grateful to be in partnership with Goshen, and I look forward to seeing how God is going to work with us together in the years ahead. But uh, this morning, I want to take a few minutes before we wrap up today, before we spend some time enjoying lunch together. By the way, you're all invited. Please stick around. I see the, uh, there's a food truck setting up outside right now. There will be some food out there, and uh, we would love to just have you hang out with our Goshen family and make some relationships and allow them to make some with you as well today. So please don't rush off today after our services. Let me start by asking you a question this morning. Have you ever made a decision that you regret? Any of you? Any, any regrets out there? I think we all have, haven't we? How many of you have bought the big exercise bike right after New Year's and you were just convinced God told you to buy it? And it's what you're, basically your clothesline right now or collecting dust. How many of you maybe, maybe you bought a new car at some point because you felt like that was what you were supposed to do? You needed it. Or are there any boats out there? Any boats that are sitting out there and you're thinking, oh yes, I need this boat. And it just kind of, yeah. What are you doing buying a boat in Arizona anyway? What's that all about? How many, who's the impulse buyer in your house, by the way? Is it, is it you? Or is it your husband? Or your wife? Right? I see some women punching their guys. I think that must be a sign. Yeah. Now, maybe for you it wasn't that. Maybe it's not impulse buys. Maybe it's a job or a career change. And it seemed to you at the time to make lots of sense. But in retrospect, your desire to change somehow was just so strong, you assumed that it was God who was calling you to do so. Or maybe it was some other decision, and it seemed really clear-cut. But now, you just kind of look at me, gosh, that was a bad idea. Recently, I was asking this question on Facebook, and uh, the common theme I was hearing was around relationships. People saying, yeah, I fell in love, and I, I just knew he was the one, even though he didn't know God. And, and I just, yeah, I, I saw the warning signs, but I just thought, I'm going to pray, and God's going to change him. Right? And God's like, no, <laughs> stop. Not, I'll fix him. But our emotions can really blind us sometimes, can't they? You know, after I moved to Arizona, I was in my, I was in my mid-20s, and I was working full-time in the season of my life in a retirement community, serving lunches and working behind the desk, helping uh, retirees who are in this retirement community in Mesa, Arizona. And I'll never forget sitting in that lunch room one day and just thinking, you know what, I'm getting old, and I'm going to die alone. I need to do something about this. Now, you think I'm exaggerating because I'm preaching. I'm actually not exaggerating. I would think to myself, gosh, I'm, I'm in my mid-20s already. I still haven't met that perfect someone. I need to do something about this. And this was before the days of the Internet or eHarmony or Match.com, all those sorts of things. And so back then, if you really were desperate and you wanted to have somebody help you hook up with someone else and build a relationship, you would go to these brick-and-mortar matchmaking service places. You would go to the relationship experts. And so I went to one of those, and they basically told me how I could just spend a few thousand dollars and I could take care of those concerns once and for all. They had me fill out pages and pages of forms about myself and fork over way more money than I had to spend. And then after I do all that, I find out that the few clients that they do have that they try to hook me up with, they're more insecure and desperate than I was. So after two or three dates and looking across the table and thinking, man, here we go again. How do I get out of this? How do I nicely abort this evening without lying, which I wasn't good at? I thought to myself, this is just, this is crazy. 
It didn't take me long to realize that I had stepped out ahead of God and made a really dumb decision. Those were the three most... (laughs) By the way, she wasn't one of those, just so you know. Those were the three most expensive dates in my life. I would have had better luck just handing out $1,000 checks to strange women on the street and saying, would you go out on a date with me? Rather than doing this professional dating service. Now, I wanted nothing more than what God wanted for my life. But I had reached a point where I had figured that I needed to somehow help God out a little bit, if you know what I mean. I'm sure you've never done that at any point in your life, right? But a few years later, I met Teresa. We've been married for 17 years. And she, yeah. And she would tell you that I'm about the most non-impulsive decision maker she has ever met. In part, because I still can see flashbacks from those stupid decisions I made back in my 20s. Now, whether it's because of an innocent mistake or a cognizant choice to ignore the voice of God in our lives, we all have the ability to miss out on God's best when we don't take the time to truly listen, right? When, yeah, when, you're, when, you aren't, when you aren't a follower of Christ, that's normal. That's natural. That's just what you do. You have no one to reach out to other than yourself and the friends that you might have to make important decisions in your life. But a huge part of being a follower of God is listening to his guidance in the significant decisions of your life and obeying them. We don't surrender our hearts or our lives to Christ because God's some controlling kind of being. But because he created us and the world that we live in and that he is infinitely more wise than you and I are even on our best day. Right? To live by faith is to listen and to trust the voice of God even when we think we have all the answers. Especially when we think we have all the right answers. It isn't being crippled by indecision, being unable to move in the morning until God tells me what shirt to wear or what pants to put on. That's not what I'm talking about. But it means learning those decisions that are important, those decisions that we don't want to suffer needlessly from because we miss God. And we take the time to pray and to listen to God before we move forward. Today, I want to show you from the book of Joshua a really important life lesson, and that is this. We cannot, we cannot live by faith unless we listen by faith. I'm going to say that again. I only heard one amen. You guys do better than that. We cannot live by faith unless we listen by faith. Amen. There we go. You're getting it. You're getting the hang of this. Over this important series on what it means to live by faith, we've been following through, on the, li- following th- through the life of Joshua and God's people in the book of Joshua. And wouldn't you know that in the book of Joshua, there's this perfect story that beautifully illustrates this for us. It's found in Joshua chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there this morning. If you, have your, if you don't have your paper Bibles, but you have a smartphone or tablet in your pocket, just whip it out, go on your web browser to mygrace.church. And you can follow along with the sermon notes tab there and read the scriptures along with me this morning. Now I'm in Joshua 9, starting in verse 1. Let's listen to what God's word says. It says, Now all of the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. These were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. These kings 
combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. And when they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. Now, picture this. These Israelites had been just marching through and just driving out all these sinful people in this land because God had spoken to them and said, I have given you a promise. I've already given this land to you. You just need to claim it. And these people, I mean, again, these are before the days of CNN and Instagram. And no one, you know, it's not like there's mass media telling these stories, but people are talking. And they're like, guys, you need to watch out for these Israelites. There's a God on their side and they are unstoppable. I mean, they've already left this, uh, they've already destroyed the, the Egyptian army, the Amorites, the people of Ai, the people of Jericho, which is the, the, the uh, passage we'll look at this next week. And so all these local kings are getting together and they're kind of conferring and they're saying, guys, you know, we need to make a plan here or else we're going to be next. Now, Rahab is where we saw on Easter. Rahab had her own plan. Rahab, the prostitute who lived in Jericho, her plan was to put her faith in God. That was the right decision. But all the rest of them, they were making bad decisions and they were scared of God. A bunch of these, so a bunch of these local kings get together and they decide they're going to team up and they're going to wipe out the Israelites. But the Gibeonites, these people who live in this little town called Gibeon, they had a different idea. They're like, you know, they, they see God like the Borg in Star Trek, where resistance is futile. And so they see that they only have two options, really. And that is either to run and relocate, get out of the way, or to resort to deception and lies. Now, the people of Gibeon had heard all about this land that God had promised, and they realized that their little plot of land was in that area that God had promised the people of Israel. So they pretended to be people they weren't. They pretended to be from a far-off country as opposed to where they truly were, which is people of, from a town just a few miles down the road. Now, this, this whole plot, this whole plan of the Gibeonites shouldn't have worked. The people of Israel were close to God. They were hearing God's voice whenever they would cry out and listen. But the problem was on this day, they didn't take the time to listen. Now, what's interesting is if you have your Bibles in front of you, and your paper versions anyway, and you can look at the very end of chapter 8, notice what happens there. I won't take the time to read that this morning. But when you look at the end of chapter 8, what you see is that Joshua had just stood up before all of the people and preached this beautiful sermon. He had read from the scriptures in Deuteronomy where it talked about the blessings that come from God when you listen to him. And the curses from Deuteronomy 28 that come when you don't listen. And so he has powerfully stood up and he has given God's word. He has read from God's word and all the people had heard it and said, Amen. And then the very next thing... Joshua, as leader of these people, does is fail to listen. He does what seems right in his own eyes. This is crazy. I mean, these people, uh, these Israelites, they were suspicious. They knew something was up. They knew something didn't seem quite right. They even asked here in chapter 9, how do we know that you're not from a town nearby? 
But when the Gibeons give the Gibeonites give the same lie to them once again, notice what is said here in verse 14. It says, So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. The Israelites had done everything in the natural they thought they were supposed to do. They had checked their stuff. They'd sampled the nasty, moldy food. They realized it was old. They'd examined all the facts. They had used common sense. They'd done everything but pray and ask God. And they suffered the consequences of it. Three days later, the Israelites realized they had been duped. But they had already made a vow, a promise before God, and they couldn't break their word. And you know, the Gibeonites knew that about them. But you know what's really surprising? This is what really gets me. Even after the Israelites, even after Joshua realizes what has happened, he realizes he made this huge mistake by jumping out ahead of God and thinking, using just his common sense to determine what needs to be done. Even after he sits down with the Gibeonites to find out why they did what they did, they do the same thing again. They deal with the Gibeonites without once consulting with God in this situation. Now, the good news is, from this story, there be some good news, right? God works through our biggest mistakes. God works through our, even our biggest mistakes in life. When the land was divided up, the Gibeonite land was given over to the priestly tribe of Aaron. The tabernacle was, was placed there in Gibeon. The Gibeonites worked as servants there in the tabernacle along with the people of, in, in, and lived among the people of Israel. One of King David's most important military advisors, one of his mighty men, was a Gibeonite. Centuries later, when the Israelites were hauled off into slavery in Babylon, the Gibeonites went with them as slaves and then they were brought back with them. I love what Warren Wearsby said about this a long time ago. He said this. He said, the mistakes we make embarrass us, especially those mistakes that are caused by our running ahead of the Lord and not seeking his will. But we need to remember, no mistake is final for the dedicated Christian. God can use even our blunders to accomplish his purposes. Thank God he can do that. Isn't that right? But this story is a powerful reminder about making the time to listen to God regarding the decisions we make in this life. We must, we must be people of prayer. We must listen well and not assume that our best ideas are always somehow God's ideas. We cannot live by faith if we don't listen by faith. It seems crazy to read this, to, to see that they had just read from God's word and heard the importance of listening to God and then made this mistake not once but twice. But come on, I mean, let's be honest. How often do we do the same thing? When things aren't going right in our lives and we're desperate to hear an answer from God, oftentimes then we'll listen. But then when we get confident in ourselves and our own ability to to kind of coast through life and we just assume I, I, I'm connected to God. I'm in touch with God and we don't listen to God's will for our lives. We don't listen well. And in those moments, that is a recipe for disaster. Commentator Alan Redpath said this not too long ago. He said, it seems to take us a long time to learn the lesson 
that neglect of prayer always leads to trouble and destroys the spirit of discernment. Neglect of prayer always suggests pride in our own judgment, which is fatal. We sometimes assume that, well, I can't hear God's voice. And you know what? On your own, you can't. But if you've placed your faith and your trust in Christ, the Bible clearly says that in the moment that you made that decision, the Holy Spirit came to live within you, to be that guide, to make sure that every time that you reach out to God and you ask for His will, that you can count on the fact that you will be able to hear it. God assures us that if we take the time to listen, that we will hear His will. James 1.5 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. John 10, 27, I love this verse. It says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We prefer oftentimes to rely on our own wisdom, on our own understanding. And we sometimes will say, well, God gave me that wisdom and understanding. But Proverbs 3 reminds us of this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in everything that you do, and he will show you which path to take. That isn't isn't just maybe sometimes. That's a promise from God for every day of our lives. Now, the world may not understand this. The world may look at people who follow Christ and say, Hey, I'm listening. I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to give me wisdom. I'm waiting for God to speak to me. And they may look at us and say, Well, that's that's just craziness. In fact, there was a, just a few weeks ago, there was a, a comedian and TV host on The Voice who said that Christians who can actually hear from Jesus, who can actually hear from God, have a mental illness. She caught quite a bit of flack from that, by the way, by Christian people, and she was forced to apologize on national television. But, that, but God tells us in Proverbs chapter 8, Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway, For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Joshua told us from his own painful experiences, we cannot live by faith if we don't listen by faith. You know, here at Grace, I have been listening carefully to God and trying my best to discern God's will for us for our future. And I take that very seriously. I dare not stand up here on a Sunday morning and say, This is what God has said. Unless I feel sure that he has. I and our leadership are calling this vision our faith-filled vision for the future. And for the last few weeks, we've been putting that vision in your programs. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read it, read it this week. Take it home. Put it up somewhere. Start praying toward this vision. Because this is the track God has us on for the next five years. This is the big, bold vision God has called us to. It's, uh, it, it, it starts with it, basically every letter of the word faith stands for something. The F stands for funding space for grace, which by God's grace we are going to come together and do on April 29th. I am believing that God's going to do that through us. The A is that we're going to add to our staff an associate pastor to help us staff-wise with what we need to grow as God prepares us for the future. And as we have those two things in place, we're going to be investing in ministries of local outreach like we never have before. We are going to be learning what it means to love our neighbor and love our community better than we ever have before and and focus outward 
And as we do that, the T in that vision is that we're going to trust that God is going to grow us, that God's going to bring us in contact with people who need the love of Jesus, the light of Christ in their lives. And I'm believing that at least by our 40th anniversary, five years from now, that we will see 140 new decisions of faith. I think that's a small number, actually. But I'm willing to just settle for 140 between now and and that that time and five years from now. And I believe that God's showing me that as we start to grow and we grow to a church of about four to five hundred, that we will start preparing ourselves, that we will have the numbers we need to actually start investing. And the H is that we will help partner with our denomination to plant another church like Grace in the greater Tucson area. And that we will, by God's grace, I pray that we will continue to do that over and over and over again. Why? Why this vision? Let me tell you. The greater Tucson area... Barnard's research just released a few months ago is the 12th least reached metropolitan area for Christ in the nation today. And in the southwest U.S., Tucson is the number one least reached city. More than Las Vegas. There are less people percentage-wise attending church on Sunday morning in Tucson than in Las Vegas, than in Los Angeles, than in Phoenix. Our culture around us is also changing. The traditional church is not really reaching young people for Christ anymore. Newsflash, it's not working. Traditional church, as we have been doing it for the last several years, is not working. 65% of the builder generation, those who were born before World War II, are in church on an average Sunday morning in America. 65%. Among the boomer generation born after World War II, 35% are in church on a Sunday morning. My generation, those who live, who are, those are a few years older or younger than me, 15%. And among the millennial generation, those in their 20s and 30s, guess what? 4% of them are in church on an average Sunday morning. The church in America is dying. What we saw in Europe a generation or two ago has now crossed the ocean and it's happening here. And unless we learn how to love our community well, Unless we learn to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the light of Christ in our community, we're going to follow the same path. We have to learn how to truly know what it means to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to be that light of Christ in our community. As a result of what's happening in America today, two-thirds of churches in America are either plateaued or declining in attendance. Two-thirds. And the latest numbers are that 10,000 churches in America close their doors now every year for the last time. 10,000. Churches all around us who have no compelling mission or purpose. Over the last few months as I've been sharing this vision with people, I've heard a few, few times people say, Oh, Pastor, why don't we need more churches in Phoenix? We have plenty of them. We don't need more churches in Phoenix. Are you kidding me? With the path that this nation is on, with the path our city is on, we need more churches in Tucson who are loving their communities than ever before. And it starts with us. It starts with us going beyond ourselves and learning what it truly means to love our neighbor and building relationships and being vulnerable. So we at Grace are committing ourselves not just to fund a building over the next few weeks. We're committing ourselves to preparing for that future God has laid out for us. And I, as your pastor, need to say to you this morning, I need you now more than ever before. I need your heart for people and your involvement at grace 
I, I, need, your com- I, need, I need our community to, to help us love those in a five to ten mile rate of grace, ten to five, five to ten mile radius of grace, and help them to see the unconditional love of Jesus. I need your prayers. I need you to listen to God more than you ever have before. And I need you to ask God, God, how are you wanting to use me in this process? It's not just about what everyone else is going to do, but God, use me. And I need you to join me in giving sacrificially through Space for Grace so that we can lay the infrastructure down to make sure that we have what it takes to be able to do the things that God has called us to do going into the future. Now, occasionally, you and I, we're going to mess up. We're going to jump at that wonderful deal that we saw on television that wasn't really a deal. We're going to make a rash relational decision that we're going to pay for for a long time to come. We're going to respond in anger occasionally and we're going to say things that we're going to regret. But God wants us to avoid so many of those mistakes. So may you and I, may our thoughts be consumed Not with figuring out what seems the most rational to us. But may we be consumed with creating a relationship with God that is so familiar, so close, so personal, that with every decision that we make, our first response is to pause and to say, God, what's your plan? God... This is what makes sense to me. This is what I think I need to do. This is what I think our family should do. This is how I think we should give. This is what I think we should, the decision I think we should make in this situation. But God, what do you say? And God, I'm not moving forward. This decision is so important to me. I'm not moving forward until I hear from you. Allow God to speak into your heart and life today. Because listen, you cannot You cannot live by faith. It's impossible to live by faith unless you listen by faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this amazing day. Lord, I thank you for the worship that we've we've been experiencing here today. I thank you for the clarity of your word from Joshua chapter 9, reminding us that we cannot make decisions on our own and assume that your hand is upon it but that we have to stop and listen. Joshua was this beautiful example of a man who followed God, but missed it, not once but twice, because he'd failed to listen. Lord, I pray that you would help all, every person in this room, every person who is listening online, who knows you, who has that relationship with you, to take that time each and every day to pause and to listen before making those important decisions of life. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never committed your heart and life to Christ and you've been doing everything out of your own strength, I believe God's speaking to you today as well and encouraging you to surrender. To surrender your own good ideas, to surrender your own will, to bend the knee to a God who created you and loves you far more than you will ever understand. And He's asking you to listen. To listen to that still small voice. And I believe some of you are here today and you're hearing that voice. You're hearing God pulling on your heart and asking you to make a decision. I want to encourage you today to make that decision. 
to trust God. Allow God's Spirit to come in your heart and to change you. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you with every head bowed and every eye closed to pray this prayer with me and allow God into your life. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I need you. I need you in my life. Lord, I didn't realize before how much I do in my own wisdom and my own strength and my own power. And perhaps, perhaps that's why I haven't gotten any farther in life than I have because I've only relied on me, myself, and I. But God, today, I'm going to turn a new leaf. I am making a new decision in my life. And that decision is to decide to follow you, to trust you, to listen to you. God, I ask that you would come into my heart and forgive me of all of my sins. I ask, as, as I confess, that you are my Savior and my Lord who died on a cross out of love for me so that I could live. Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart, forgive me, fill me with your Holy Spirit to guide me from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen.